<laughs> now that I got that out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just. All right. Okay. Here, here we, we go. go. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Angel Talk, Reflections of an Ambitious Angel Mom. My name is Philip Kerrigan. I am the executive director of Raise for Rowan. We are the organization that helps families struggling through the loss of a child with funeral cost assistance and emotional support. I am joined by, as always, the ambitious angel mom herself. Say hello to the people, Bryn. Hello, everybody. How are you? I'm great today. How That's are you excellent. doing, Philip? I'm doing, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Making it through day by day. Yeah. It's a, it's a one day at a time situation at this point. Yeah. <laughs> this is our first time in the office together since quarantine That's correct. has started. That's correct. And I do have to say, I am a big time rule follower, so I get scared whenever uh, this sort of stuff happens. Yeah. We are only here because the online auction has happened, but we actually recorded this before the online auction occurred. And we were in here prepping baskets. We're also socially distancing. It's yes. all good. Police. And sanitizer everywhere. Yes. Yes. We're perfectly yeah. fine. And if one of us cough, we're just cutting it off. Yeah. Time to go. <laughs> yeah. It's over. It's over. Um, we want to talk to you a little bit about kind of speaking of um, our current situation, what you're doing at home, what we're all kind of doing, you know, with the stay at home order and being at home and kind of avoiding work and being outside. One of the biggest things that can happen with that is a sense of isolation uh, psychologically um, and emotionally. And we kind of figured it would be a perfect time to talk a little bit about that because grief actually does bring on those feelings as well, a sense of isolation, mm -hmm. being separated from other folks, both yeah. physically and emotionally. Yeah. So we figured this would be the perfect time to dive into grief and isolation and how the two co-mingle with each other and how you can avoid feeling isolated in your grief. Mm -hmm. So as always, we kind of do this through the lens of Bryn, your own experience and how you experienced isolation and, and loneliness. And uh, hopefully that'll get folks to be able to listen. And, and in this day and age, what's kind of interesting about this one is there might be people who have not gone through this sort of loss, but are feeling these exact feelings and maybe they will connect with this podcast in some sort of way. So that's kind of what we're hoping right now. Yeah. Uh, are you ready for some questions? Of course. All right, let's do it. So right off the bat, I have to imagine that, uh, especially after something like an accident where it was not something you could see coming and it was really sudden, that there are these feelings of loneliness, like you're the only one experiencing what you're going through. Can you talk a little bit about the feelings that came uh, of feelings of isolation that came with your grief. Yeah, and I do think it's uh, really natural to just feel alone after you've lost a loved one and especially a child because you really have a hard time relating to other people anymore because they haven't really experienced what you've experienced. So as Phillips kind of described it before, you see everybody else going on about their lives and they're just busy, you know, going circling around you in their day-to-day -day lives where you're just kind of stuck in time feeling really isolated and alone. Um, and I don't think it's just emotionally feeling alone, but I think that can kind of lead to, you know, isolating yourself from social settings and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. I think it can become part of your habit of just, you know, isolation. You don't want to really be around anybody else and yeah. um, you get lonely. Yeah. 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 Um, did you find yourself actually wanting to be alone from time to time, uh, especially at the beginning maybe? Yeah, this one was a, this is kind of tricky to explain because I think throughout your journey of grief, that changes. 
um, I went through a period of time where I really never wanted to be alone. Mm. And it was really because I was afraid to just be alone with my own emotions. Mm. Because it's like as soon as the people would leave, you know, if my husband went to work or, you know, my cousins or sisters left, that's when all my emotions came out. Wow. And I would get into a really, really deep, dark place. Mm. You know, and it's a place that's not comfortable for anybody to be in when you're really experiencing those feelings. But, you know, you put on a brave face when you're in public or people are around. So in one sense, I never wanted to be alone because I'm like, oh, I don't want to. I, I just know I'll have a breakdown. Yeah. And I remember crying to my husband like I, I just really have a hard time. Like if he had to work out of town and be away at night, uh-huh. um, that was really hard for me. I just I did not want to be home alone especially in the evenings. Like it was just a really somber time, you know, like I wasn't tucking in my daughter for bedtime because obviously she had passed. And, you know, here I am trying to be strong and be a mother for my son during that period. Um, And I had a hard time being alone. Wow. So you found, you found the evenings and night times to be the hardest. For me, I mean, you never really can predict when a hard time is going to hit you, but uh, for me, like during the day I could keep myself busy with, you know, chores or taking care of my son or work or whatever, but it was like if if I was home alone at night, and that's yeah. when like your day slows down and you're sitting down to be you, reflective, yeah. reflective and stuff. Uh, and then that's when you really have to face your feelings because they're going to come out regardless. Like they're inside, mm-hmm. just like dying to get out, you know, because yeah. you just have all this hurt and pain that needs to come out somewhere. So you know, for me, I really in the beginning, I just I really didn't want to be alone because that's when they really started to pour out. Um, and then there's, you know, sometimes that like I, I w- wanted to be alone. Like later on in my grieving, mm-hmm. I realized I kind of like to be alone because I'm facing them. And then every time I would face a little bit of my grief, I would heal. Mm. So it was like a little bit of healing, you yeah. know? So now I'm not as emotional and as unstable, like, you know, maybe being out in public as I was, in the beginning because I've kind of let a lot of those feelings pass and, and dealt with them yeah. at this point. Yeah. But you know, the longer you put them off, they're still going to come out at some yeah. point. It's yeah. kind of like, you just have to do it and it, and it sucks. Oh yeah, it for just, sure. It's not fun. For sure. I think it's funny cause it's like a little bit like that dime store psychology for a moment. The idea that oftentimes we run from the emotions that our brain knows we should mm-hmm. be feeling that yeah. we have to process. And the only way to actually get through them is to confront them, Yeah, is to put them out there. Everyone always talks about how, like, uh, one of the times we talked to Brad Tower, he talked about how his the way he dealt with it is he took his problems and he put them right out in front of him. Mm-hmm. And he literally had to look at them almost like they were physical. Yeah. And that was the only way he could deal with them. Now, that is scary because it leaves you totally vulnerable. Yeah. And you are you are. Hold, letting out feelings that you wanted to hold on to. Being vulnerable is so hard. Yeah. It's, it is so hard. There, are, But it's really important at the end of the day to mm-hmm. to get those things out. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, you can run from it as long as you want, you know, being busy. Like, I just kept myself super, super busy yeah. for quite a few years yeah. because I was afraid to be still. Yeah. And then when I finally have allowed myself to be still. Mm-hmm is when the healing really started taking when did you start to when did you start to get to that point where you knew that being still being in the moment and actually confronting Mm -hmm. that how long did it take you for you personally after the passing um i would say year three wow uh is when i finally 
had acknowledged that I was running like yeah. in my own way. Yeah. Um, and not really getting anywhere. Yeah. And um, year three is when I kind of had like that turning point where I was like, I have mm. to get a little bit of my life back of yeah. not just being so consumed in a, my grief, but like, you know, just keeping it all inside, like not yeah. really ever having a place to let it out. Yeah. Um, you know, I started this nonprofit and this was a huge way for me to let out some of that grief, but it kept me so busy. I never had the stillness. Yeah. It was like, I was just focused on helping other people, yeah. which was a great outlet. Yeah. I mean, it's one heck of a yeah. way to it, run. It was a, it was a great <laughs> running tactic. I yeah. mean, it was great, but you know, once I started accepting like, okay, I still have a lot of anger and hurt and pain inside and I've got to do something about it. Yeah. Um, and then I started therapy and that's when I started, you know, working out and just trying to live a healthier lifestyle sure. in general. And that's when I really felt like a difference was happening with me emotionally mm -hmm. and physically because I, I think I had accepted like, okay, we've got a lot of problems going on yeah. and I really want to feel like a human again one yeah. day because yeah. you don't, I think you lose a child and you, you lose yourself you know, but you also, you don't even feel human on some days. You just wake up and you're like, I'm a zombie, Yeah. you know? So now I find myself, I really enjoy having alone time now mm -hmm. at mile marker five because um, I like to reflect and I like to, it, it comes out in a different way now. I can cherish her memory and I can think about her and um, look at photos. And yeah, I still get the tears, you know, but they don't, it's not like the pain is just pouring out. It's more like sometimes they're really happy tears. Like remember when yeah. we took Rowan, you know, to Lake Chelan and yeah. we did this and we did that. And, um, I like to be, I have my alone time now. It's yeah. pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of playing on that a little bit more. There is healthy alone time mm -hmm. and there is unhealthy alone time. You yeah. obviously have experienced both. Can you talk a little bit about the differences for you between what you recognize today as unhealthy alone time and the sort of healthy alone time that allowed you to to start dealing with your grief. Yeah, I think that um, we'll go back to like emotional isolation where it's like you feel like you have nobody you can talk to mm -hmm. and or confide in because they won't understand. And I also always dealt with I didn't want to be a burden to anybody. So oh, wow. I started, you know, really having that emotional isolation because I didn't want to talk about my problems or my feelings with anybody to bring them down because I was feeling so hurt inside. Yeah. But I think that also leads to the social isolation where I felt really uncomfortable being in group settings. Yeah. I, um, you know, didn't want to work in the public anymore because I was a hairdresser at that time. So I think both can really um, spiral really quickly to where you're just not comfortable being around people anymore. It's easier to just stay home. Yeah. And that obviously can become a bad habit and become unhealthy. Right. You know, you start to be alone too much and um, get in your grief and you're, you're lonely and then you're not fulfilled in either of those, you know, social settings or emotional areas of your life. Yeah. And, you know, you start to get depressed. It led to a lot of anxiety problems, um, severe PTSD. I mean, I didn't drive for three months. Mm. So I think it kind of, it can get out of hand. Yeah. So I think it's easy to do when you're just really trapped in that dark place of grief. But right. I think if you have, um, you know, those baby steps where you can still surround yourself with people that you do feel comfortable with, or um, we can talk later in the podcast about just some tips and pointers that I had that kind of right. started getting me back out there. But I think it can really lead to unhealthy habits if you let it get out of hand, you yeah. know, because you can avoid everybody forever, yeah. but you're just going to be alone in your grief, right. you know? Right. 
There will be no support system. There will be no support system. Yeah. So you can get, you know, in a really, really dark place if you don't lean on other people to Mm -hmm. get you through. Mm -hmm. And speaking on more of the, the sort of healthy, quote, alone time, can you describe some of the some of the alone time for you that you have looked at as healthier? Yeah, like we've talked about in some other podcasts, my alone time now consists of like if I want to have my exercise time, Mm -hmm. that's like my therapy. So I do my hour of alone time as much as I can to either just do a walk or a run or work out, um, read a book, or even take my alone time to just pray, reflect my alone time in the morning before my kids get up. I listen to, you know, like the inspirational podcasts. So I really try to have my alone time where it's filled with positive things. Mm -hmm. So I don't try to focus on any alone time where it might be, you know, doing something negative or um, I think it's fine to have somber moments when you're alone because like those are going to creep in. But Mm -hmm. I really try to focus my alone time now on only doing healthy things. Like there's only so many hours in our day. So I try to really fill those with the best positive things I can. Totally. Totally. How important in the alone time for you is silence, is not having people talk, not having things going on in the background. How important is that for you? You know, it used to be so uncomfortable for me. Yeah. And I'm not even going to fake that, Philip, because yeah. I've always, um, in my you know prior life before Rowan passed away, was super social. Uh-huh. I never stopped talking. Yeah. Um, so silence was really uncomfortable for yeah. me for yeah. a long time. <laughs> Um, I hated it, to be honest. Um, And now I kind of enjoy it. Like, I still don't do a ton of it because Mm -hmm. it's, I am still fairly social person. Extroverts don't always love silent time. Um, But I do, I'll tell you what, there is nothing more peaceful than when I'm out in nature and all you hear is nature. Like hear the birds chirping. I'll go out like on our back patio and listen, yeah, just to nature and have my coffee in the morning. And like that right there to me is just like the definition of peace. Yeah. That's like you just hear nothing else but nature. Yeah. And um, it is so relaxing and you can kind of just center and focus. It's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. A little silence in your life is pretty good. And I will say even my husband, uh, that's like his, his really? solitude is yeah. being in the nature and um, he loves, he's an outdoorsman. So he always is up in like the high country in the hills, but it will just be him you know, in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. he's like, I feel the closest to God and I feel the closest to Rowan. That's very up cool. Up in the hills. And that is like his piece. That is neat. So he does it more than I do. Yeah. But, but yeah. he um, he loves it. And I think it can be really healing when you take that time just to step away, step yeah. away from life for as long as you can and go, you know, take that time to be quiet and be outdoors and listen to the sounds of the wind. I mean, yeah. it's, it's really Peaceful. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think silent time is super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In yeah. emotional gathering. And a lot of people don't take the time to do it because we obviously put it off. You know, it's not something high up on the mm-hmm. totem pole of what's important, but um, man, it's enjoyable. Yeah. I think people <laughs> fool themselves into thinking, I have too much to do Yeah, for this time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that actually brings you back energy. If you do oh, it, it does. it'll bring you back energy. Yeah. It brings you back to life a little bit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, or, you know, maybe it helps you feel close in a connection to your loved one yeah. that's passed. So, I mean, win-win there. There you go. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, 
Now it's time for the good news. The the Rowan's Rays of Light. Hold on one second. Let me find it on my phone. I got one. Do you have one, Brian? I do. Do you want me to start? Yeah, let's do this. All right. So this is, for those who don't know, this is Rowan's Rays of Light. Uh, what we've been doing during, especially this time, where uh, a lot of the news is heavy and a lot of the news is very serious and even dark, I would say, from time to time, um, people have a tendency to also take themselves into that dark place and then especially if you're dealing with grief, some feelings can come up. So what we try to do with these segments is give you some positives, some silver linings, unsung heroes of what has been going on there in this crisis. So, Bryn, what is your ray of light? Okay, well, this is just so cute. I just loved it. So penguins in a Chicago aquarium got free reign of the entire vicinity um, after they were close to visitors. So they got to free roam um, all their enclosures and just roam the whole entire aquarium living their best lives <laughs> and i just thought that was so cute because i can yeah. picture all these cute little puffins <laughs> and penguins yep. just waddling around yep. like they don't have to be in enclosures and they yeah. just get to roam free the aquarium <laughs> in like the middle of chicago yeah isn't there that video of the beluga whale like kind of like hanging out with it well, I didn't see the blue whale. Oh, I was just watching the penguins waddle around, and I was like, oh, my gosh, they're the happiest things I've they ever sure seen. Are. Like, uh, why can't they always roam free like that? Right? That was just exciting. Yeah, like, that's made, awesome. Made my day. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Um, so my story comes from Miami, Florida. It is the story of Doriella and Carlos, who uh, both actually survived COVID-19. Oh. And uh, they were married. They've been married for 45 years, and there's this lovely oh. video of them exiting the hospital together uh, as the as the staff of the hospital oh, claps good. for them on, on on their survival. I really enjoy seeing stories like I that. I completely 100% agree. I think a lot of times it feels like we are on death count. Yeah. For some reason. Uh, maybe we should have a few more stories of the survivors. There was also yeah. another lovely story of a gentleman uh, who was 100 and four years old, had survived the Spanish flu in 1918, and survived COVID today. Wow. Yeah. So, One tough guy. <laughs> yeah. He also, I think, made it to World War II at some point in the middle. I was going to say, he probably went to the war and <laughs> yeah. came back and survived. probably yeah. the toughest person on earth Good at this point. Job. So the stories of survival are super fun, and they do definitely bring hope. So That's really cool. Ho hopefully folks get a little bit of that. And yeah. the penguins are great. I, I just love, I love penguins. <laughs> penguins they're one of my favorites, little yeah. puffers. They're so cute. Or puffins. <laughs> yeah, they little waddle around. Yeah, they're just so cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so getting back to some of the questions, we're going to talk a little bit about today and kind of where you are at today. I found it really interesting that you talked about how you even tried to outrun it while you were doing Race for Rowan. So you were doing something in Rowan's name, but you, it was still almost attempting to block out some of the feelings that you had. When you're working, there's lots of social situations, especially in the nonprofit world, especially mm -hmm. as a person who runs a nonprofit. So you're in social situations all the time. How do you handle your social situations today differently than you did before Rowan passed? Yeah, and I've talked about this before a little bit, but you know, prior to the accident, I was a very social person and extrovert and I never really had experienced anxiety in social settings before. Mm. Um, I'd always worked in social settings as a waitress, as a bartender, as a hairdresser. Um, it was always my strength and strong suit to connect with people and talk and provide great customer service. Yeah. So I've never had any kind of issues with it. Yeah. Um, 
where my issues started was really the anxiety of losing my emotions in front of people after Rowan passed. Mm. So, um, and then obviously as the, when the accident was pretty fresh, you know, people obviously in a small community, everybody knew. So they may not have meant to, but, you know, are staring or looking at you, or they might ask a question that could be a trigger where I would be emotional and lose it. And I'd have to go hide in the back. So really, I think it starts with just having triggers like that, that you're afraid you're going to break down in public. And Mm -hmm. for me, that was just so uncomfortable. I didn't want anybody to see me cry. Um, It was just a foreign thing for me, you know? So even today, five years later, I still do suffer some social anxiety where I do get really nervous and and it's weird because I really wanted to kind of be over that hump by now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's because you just stay in your um, little bit of isolation for so long that now that when I do actually go into social settings, I still have like those butterflies or, yeah. you know, that people might be judging or thinking like, oh, man, she's not handling her grief the right way or yeah. I'm surprised she did this or, you know, and it's probably a lot in my head or overthinking it. But I also think when you're, grieving so publicly you're always going to get criticism Mm -hmm. so you know we have a lot of supporters but i also have had a lot of criticism at the same time and Mm. and knowing that over the years or hearing those things it maybe has created my own self-doubt where i do get a little anxiety if i'm ever going to be you know at a social function and out on display because i have chosen this route to share my grief with the world and the community and um, it, believe me, it's not for me. Yeah. I, I, bel- yeah. There's yeah. days where I cry and I'm like, you know, should I, is this what I should be doing? Cause I'm really, I'm doing it to help other people. Um, cause there's some days I'd rather just, you know, I would love to go back to being a hairdresser yeah. and just yeah. talking about roots. Yeah. Like let's talk about roots <laughs> and blonde and bleach and, right. you know, right. um, dealing with your grief so publicly and really deep, dark stuff so it's overwhelming yeah absolutely. so so there's some days where i'm like you know i really wish i just could not be so exposed yeah. um but then at the same time i receive so many messages from other angel families and moms and grandparents right. um that it really really makes a difference a and connecting with them has been the biggest thing that keeps me going and just hearing like thank you for sharing your advice or mm-hmm. you know like your stories help keep me going um yep so you know it's it's bittersweet yeah it really is like there's so many parts of it that are really amazing where it's like yeah i have anxiety when i go into social settings or i even have anxiety before a podcast you know maybe sharing something that i haven't shared before right um because it is very personal this yeah. is my life yeah. and not everybody's going to agree or maybe like what I have to say. So there's always those doubts, you know, of yeah. of feeling just, I guess, criticized or judged. But yeah. at the end of the day, I really just hope it helps enough people that it's it's worth it. And, oh, yeah. Um, and that's what keeps me going. So I would venture to tell you that I think it's been completely worth it. I think you've probably literally saved some folks' lives well, from, thank you. from, you know, really dark spots. And to have an organization like ours that, that – you started that is able to in a really really horrible moment provide some sense that there are going to be people there that are not going to judge there are going to be free space i think it literally has probably saved some lives so i think yeah it's amazing work i hope just to like no like other families knowing that we can all relate you know like even the darkest times that like we don't want to admit and we don't want to talk about Mm -hmm. i've tried to really still share those because it's real, you yes. know, and you don't need to feel alone in that. Like we're 
we really are. If you've lost a child and you feel like you are left alone, mm-hmm. just know that like we are in this together in some sure. way. And um, anytime I see somebody, whether it be on social media or a request that re- we receive here at Race for Rowan, I really feel that parent's pain. Yep. Like it connects the pain for all of us and, right. and it hurts, but it's like, I'm so glad that we can still be here for one another. Yeah, I could tell you, yeah, for real in dealing with, you know, some of the grant requests we get, it is, it is like a tuning fork mm-hmm. that gets hit throughout the entire organization. Everybody feels it from the board, from the employees to the grant committee. Mm-hmm. There are some where you get in and it's, it's emotional for Everybody. Yeah. They come to that realization. I do. You make a really good point, too. I do think the biggest weapon against isolation is knowing that other people are going through the same thing you're going through. Right. And so uh, to have folks have something like that here on this podcast, hopefully they get it or in other places. It's really I encourage people to make sure that they do that Mm -hmm. because that's the biggest weapon uh, for unhealthy isolation. Yeah. Is the idea that other people are going through what you're doing, what you're going through. Um, how important was it for you to, cause we talked about this in, in, in a podcast about grieving in public, mm-hmm. how you basically had to physically be taken out of your house from time to time by your sister-in-laws mm-hmm. to just get out. Yeah. How important now looking back on it, even if you rebelled against it, was it to force yourself to go out? Well, I, I definitely think it was a huge blessing that I had such a big support system to do that for me because mm-hmm. if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't have left, okay. you know? And some people don't, some people just stay home and stuff and that might be fine for them. But I really needed to start breaking that cycle or how, I mean, I, like I said, I didn't drive for three months. Yeah. So until my husband literally made me drive just a block <laughs> down the road to my yeah. church and yeah. I was like crying, yeah. like shaking. I was shaking. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. I mean, gosh, it's gotta be intense. Just felt like out of control. So mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I just don't feel like I control my life right now. I don't want to drive a car. Um, but I think, you know, the longer you let these things keep manifesting, you know, it's, going to just spiral and get worse and worse, which, which it did, you know, the longer I would let something go on or bother me, it would lead to my anger, anxiety, um, self doubt. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just kind of get worse and worse and worse. And like I said, I think it was year three where I started to finally be like, wow, I've really got to like get myself back a little bit. Mm. Cause I didn't even know who I was anymore. You know, you just carry around this burden of grief, which is a whole basket full of, you know, all these things and they're not nice things. So it's like, you've got to start letting yourself, you know, get back out there and little by little find yourself again and, and find the things that bring you joy and whatever that may be. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Let's get to the part where we talk a little bit about what people can do. Uh, Because based on what you've kind of talked about here, you had some things that really got you through it. Um, yeah. And people listening to this might be looking for something to help them start step one. Yeah. So do you have some recommendations for people who might be going through this and might begin to feel like they're isolating themselves too much? Yeah. I think first and foremost, um, you know, any if you're not ready to start getting back out there socially in like social settings, you know, maybe look for an online group or support system in that way even listening to this podcast where you can have somebody relatable that might have may have lost a child or even any kind of a grief support group. Mm. But there is actually quite a few resources out there. But if you're not ready to start leaving your house and doing things like that, 
hey, you've already taken the first step if you're listening to this podcast yeah. because you need to find somebody that you feel can relate to you in yeah. what you're going through, in your pain, in your grief. And I think that is step one. Mm. Um, so that can help take away the just feeling completely alone yeah. that nobody understands yeah. um, because you do, you feel like that. I mean, yeah. that's how I felt for many, many times in my journey. Yeah. Um, even after meeting pastor Jim that had lost, you know, his, his, daughter, his daughter, you still feel alone. Cause you're like, does, you know, does anybody know what I'm feeling like? Yeah. So you have those low moments, but it's, you know, reach out or find a support system online that I think can be very helpful. Um, and I think this one was a good one for me because people would still be inviting me to do things and I wouldn't want to do them. So I'd make up excuses and I wouldn't go. Yeah. But what helped me was if I initiated plans on my terms, just something really small, oh. like a coffee date or a walk or a play date with a mom for an hour. Yeah. I would, if I initiated, initiated it on my terms and something small of a, of a commitment, it was less intimidating yeah. than if somebody invited me out to dinner or drinks or whatever right. it may be. I, I, that would just kind of overwhelm me for yeah. a while. Yeah. I didn't want to go anywhere on anybody else's terms. But I started making those baby steps of, okay, well, I'll initiate it. And that made me feel a little more in control mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I could prepare myself beforehand really mentally more than physically because yeah. you're obviously – it's such a mental roller coaster you're on. So I had to actually like prepare like, okay, I'm going to have to be social, but only for an hour because we're yeah. just going to meet for coffee. Yeah. And I could do those little bits. And then that kind of boosts you up for the next thing, you know, where you start to make – smaller commitments to go to social functions, mm -hmm. you know, a birthday party or a dinner or something like that. So, yeah. and it got, it got easier over time when I would just do baby steps. Um, and I would make, if I was making plans with somebody, it was easier for me to start with people that, it, that wouldn't be upset with me if I canceled last yeah. minute. So I would, you know, maybe make plans with a family member or a really good friend and just be like, look, I don't know how I'm going to be feeling that day. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like to make complete set plans, but let's tentatively, you know, meet for lunch. Right. Yeah. And that gave me an out where I wouldn't feel like they're going to be upset with me if I bail last minute. Right. But you really don't know, like that first year, you you could wake up a complete hot mess crying yeah. and you don't want to go anywhere. Yeah. So I felt like, you know, surround yourself with the people that are positive and um, going to support you and not be negative. Um, because if you are going to surround yourself with any kind of a toxic relationship, that's just going to ruin your whole, you know, yeah. any kind of positive experience you could have will be sucked right out of you <laughs> if you're surrounding yourself with any kind of negativity. Yeah. So. I did um, pretty much only hang out with people that lifted me up. Like wow. I didn't have the energy to um, hang out with people that had any other kind of drama in their lives because I couldn't mentally be there for them. Yeah. Like I wasn't strong enough to be there to support them, which is mm -hmm. such a selfish thing to say. But it's the truth because you're like barely hanging on. Like you're yeah. just making it through a day at some point points in your grief where I, you know, I had to kind of be selfish for the first few years where I really couldn't put a lot into my friendships anymore. Yeah. I had to just really rely on the people that could lift me up. Yeah. So I wasn't strong enough to lift anybody else up. Yeah. But, you know, surround yourself with the people that are going to be lifting you up, not the people that are going to be leaning on you for support for right. something. Yeah. So, you know, when you're weak in that time, in your moment, take it. You know, you need to surround yourself with the people that are there for you. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and don't feel bad about having to focus on yourself for a few years. Yeah. Because yeah. 
you've been through enough. Like right. it's time to find right. a little bit of healing. Yeah, it's strength. not necessarily selfish to yeah. to be focusing on yourself mm-hmm. and getting through something like that. And I feel like it's hard for people to relate or understand that if they haven't lost a child. Sure. Because I did not necessarily lose friendships after my daughter passed, but um, definitely put a lot of distance between myself and some relationships. And it wasn't that I didn't love those people or I didn't care about those people, but I literally didn't have it in me at that time to focus on anybody else but just my broken heart and, and getting through a day and being a mom and I think it's really hard to explain to people if they've never suffered a loss, especially the loss of a child. Yeah. I think we have lots of takers in our lives, right? I mean, people who take energy. The tough part would be if you have no energy to give and they still want to take. Yeah. Then you just like leave, you know, (laughs) dry. You have to, you have to separate yourself from those folks. And, you know, I've tried to explain it to um, friends over the years. And I feel like over the years I've been able to explain myself or express myself where our friendships were still salvageable. But mm-hmm. yeah, I really had to, for a while, put some distance just between myself and a lot of mm-hmm. friends because yeah. I just couldn't, I didn't have anything left to give. Yep. What I had left to give was for my kid and yep. my husband, and yep. that was pretty much it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think those are some good tips. And I yeah. would just say, you know, if you start recognizing like negative thinking and actions in yourself, that's when you know that like you need to start making changes and maybe get out a little more or maybe start looking for support groups or um, if you have really bad anxiety about going out, mm-hmm. you know, maybe start small. Start with those little uh, walk through the park or get somebody that you feel really comfortable with and just initiate it on your terms yep. to make a little date with them. Yeah. Um, and I think those are good things that helped me get out. Uh, and I think that's really all I yeah. have for that. Those are really good. I think that uh, what we'll do when we post this podcast is actually post those tips to folks because I yeah. think that those are just really good tangible ways you can start to come out of your isolation a bit, but in a healthy way. Yeah. I think that's really good. So with these podcasts, I actually blog about some of these tips and share a little bit of my experience from what we talk about in our podcast. So you can also go to... Read my blog at www.ambitiousangelmom.com, and we will share this and my pointers and tips on that as well. Yeah, yeah, really good. I think I think that uh, these are great tangible ways for people to do that. I so. hope so. Just little yeah. things that helped that have yeah. helped me along yeah. the way, and that's all I can offer. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so we're going to go ahead and close the show with that, but I do want to thank everybody who participated in our online auction. We raised thousands of dollars. I hope so. <laughs> you can cut that out. I can't give you the real number because this isn't Back to the Future, and I can't actually figure that out yet. Uh, so um, we, we, I'm assuming we raised lots of money. So I'm assuming it was fantastic. Yeah. I'll enter in my own commentary later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but one of the other things I want to talk about is the run. Um, so right now we are still technically on for the run. We are really actually though making plans probably for that not to be something. It'll be right on the cusp of people still of people being able to gather in those sort of larger groups. We will keep you posted. The run might become a virtual run of some kind. I know that was something that we experienced or that we experimented with uh, last year, the year before. And we've seen him work online over the last couple weeks, so uh, we may try to go in that direction. It will reduce the ticket cost a bit, allow folks to purchase the shirt, and then 
probably have you just take video of yourself on the treadmill running in your backyard, something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll figure out something. We don't want to um, cancel it right now, but it's it's on the verge. We'll we'll let everybody uh, know about that. In the meantime, we just hope you keep listening to the podcast. Uh, like Bryn said, uh, she is starting to develop more blog posts as well that are companions to the site. So we encourage you to dive deeper into whatever subject you find interesting. And of course, support us in any way you can because we love doing these podcasts for folks and we love hearing from our angel family. So uh, that being said, we really appreciate you listening to the show and thanks for coming. Thanks, guys. Thanks.